You are listening to the Blockchain Dialogues podcast. All views expressed on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as financial advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blockchain Dialogues podcast with your hosts Krishna and Nikhil. In this podcast series, we analyze various cutting-edge technologies and projects in blockchains, DLTs and cryptocurrencies. In today's episode, we'll be discussing a technology that is widely regarded as one of the most important pieces of the puzzle for the mass adoption of Bitcoin as a means of payment. And that technology is the Lightning Network. Some of the main drawbacks of using Bitcoin for your day-to-day payments are slow transaction speeds and high transaction fees that you pay to the miners. In comparison with existing payment networks such as Visa and MasterCard, the Bitcoin network is orders of magnitude slower. In the past, several forks of Bitcoin tried to resolve this issue by either increasing the block size or speeding up the block time. However, this came at the cost of making those networks more unsecured and more prone to 51% attacks. So this is where the Lightning Network comes in as a possible off-chain solution that can scale up the Bitcoin network, significantly improving the transaction speeds and reducing the transaction fees without compromising the security of the main Bitcoin network. So today, we'll be taking a look at how the Lightning Network works, what are some of its advantages, what are some of its drawbacks, And finally, what it all means for the adoption of Bitcoin as a whole. So before we dive into what the Lightning Network is and how it works, Nikhil, do you want to start off with a little bit of a background into what the Bitcoin scaling problem is and why it has traditionally been such a hard problem to solve? Sure, KK. So uh, Bitcoin, when it was introduced, basically was pretty straightforward to mine. It it was pretty easy to start uh, using it. And in the initial days, it was all fine, right? But even then, it had this uh, limitation where there were two kind of inherent challenges with it. One is basically that you had the whole proof of work puzzle. So you basically had this limitation of 10 minutes where the miners were competing to solve uh, this proof of work puzzle and uh, there was also the limitation that whenever you broadcast your transaction the transaction basically had to get broadcast across the network and pulled in into one of the blocks so uh, if your transaction was not pulled in into the next block it would have to wait potentially more than 10 minutes because you know the 10 minutes for the first block and then the one after in order for it to get confirmed right and uh, as the uh, network grew bigger and uh, uh, it became harder to mine, uh, the proof of work became harder and harder. This became kind of like set in stone, right? Okay, that you had this 10 minute uh, puzzle time. And uh, also there was this limit that was set in terms of the number of transactions, right? So you could basically fit in only a certain amount of transactions into a block and uh, that was not changed right and like you correctly pointed out earlier 
there were folks of Bitcoin that tried to work around this either by fiddling with the uh, amount of time or the consensus protocol so that it takes less amount of time or fiddling with the block size so that you could fit in more transactions and uh, that didn't, didn't work so well. Bitcoin itself, developers were very aware of the problem and uh, decided to kind of uh, let it happen because in the interest of uh, maintaining the security of the network, right? Because Bitcoin at this point had become this larger story, the value of Bitcoin had gone up and uh, it was recognized that proof of work as well as the, the limitations of 10 minutes and all of that was finely tuned or finely set up and that was basically set as, okay, we are not going to uh, change these but we're going to look at other solutions and one of these other solutions essentially was lightning network uh, and obviously there are other approaches as well uh, not for bitcoin but for other proof of work networks like ethereum where we looked at level uh, layer 2 networks and uh, different approaches but uh, so far it seems that with bitcoin the bet has been placed on uh, using an off-chain solution like Lightning Networks. Right. Could you just quickly also elaborate on, uh, so let's say if the block time was changed or if the number of transactions is increased, why that leads to uh, more centralization and why that is uh, a problem? Could you just, you know, quickly give uh, a layman explanation for, you know, why that's a problem and why Bitcoin, like like it's popularly said, right? It's it's a it's a feature, not a bug, right? So why right. have these limits been placed to to ensure the decentralized nature of Bitcoin network? Yeah. So one of the uh, main uh, ideas was that uh, the Bitcoin network, you could participate in it as a node, right, mm-hmm. without having to spend too much. Uh, resources in setting up this said node, right? So the idea essentially was that uh, maybe mining or uh, participating in the proof of work consensus puzzle would be something that kind of had to scale and became specialized and uh, out of the realm of quote-unquote normal people. But uh, anybody could still set up a node which could download a copy of the entire Bit- Bitcoin network and keep up with uh, each block as it is transmitted, right? right. So in order to do that uh, on a quote-unquote normal machine, you needed to ensure that your block size was not too big because if you made your block size really large, then uh, very quickly your storage requirements for copying an entire the entire history of a chain becomes out of hand, right? And it becomes something that you would need significant resources to kind of set up and do. Right. So that kind of leads to centralization. And on the other side, if you reduce the latency requirements, right? So if you so increasing the block size means that you could put in more transactions into the block, you know, that that kind of uh, increases your capacity. Uh, but the other obviously measure that uh, uh, the other lever that you had that you could change was uh, the time between each block, right? So traditionally, there is a 10-minute time between the create generation of each block and uh, reducing that basically meant that you'd have more blocks 
and uh, that that could effectively also increase your throughput but then that leads to the same thing right so you basically now uh, instead of having larger blocks every 10 minutes you're having the same the smaller box but every say one minute right so effectively that's the same as increasing the size of that 10 minute block 10 times right so so you kind of get to the same kind of problem uh, of uh, you know very rapidly the size of the chain and the history of the chain that you'd have to moderate would uh, would become well could not manageable by normal users and that leads to more centralization so you could argue that you know uh, over time uh, even now uh, the size of the bitcoin history of the the entire history of the bitcoin chain is pretty large but then that's something that was initially put in as the original parameters from satoshi so uh, it is it was kind of like okay let's not mess with this particular balance i th- i think that's a very good explanation of why the on chain scaling has been such a tough problem uh, in the past years and you know increasing your transaction speeds and at the same time keeping the network decentralized and secure right i mean there was this time a few years back when all kinds of new projects were coming out every month you know claiming transaction speeds of 50000 tps or 80000 tps or something similar uh, and if you looked at them closer you realize that they were just heavily heavily centralized right so <laughs> i guess it's a lot easier said than done so uh, anyway now let's move on to looking at what the lightning network is and uh, how it looks to improve scalability so unlike other scaling solutions that many other blockchains have lightning network itself doesn't run on a blockchain so for example ethereum has some scaling solutions that involve multiple side chains that are blockchains themselves in the bitcoin lightning network uh, that's not how it is rather the lightning network is a separate layer 2 overlay network that uses what are known as payment channels these payment channels are used to carry out btc transactions off chain and this in turn allows for greater speed uh, because over a period of time many many different transactions can happen back and forth between two parties but only the sum total of these transactions is actually settled with the main btc chain at a later point so um to understand how this works uh, let's take an analogy so imagine that you are at a restaurant or a bar where you know the owner of that place uh, and you're good friends with him or her or you know maybe you're just a customer who visits uh, pretty often you go there one evening with your friends and you tell the bartender that you plan on staying there for a while and so whatever drinks you have that evening you ask him to put it on your tab and uh, when you plan to leave that is when the bartender comes to you with the final bill uh, for all the drinks that you had that evening and you pay for all of it in one go so this is how the general concept of a bar tab works right imagine that if instead of paying for all of it in one go if the bar charged you each time you ordered a drink say uh, you ordered six drinks that evening and each time you ordered you had to swipe your card to make a payment to get that drink that would have meant six different credit card transactions right which means there would have been a transaction fee each time your card was swiped for a drink so to avoid this bars maintain what is known as a bar tab 
so that you can maintain a record of all the purchases that happen between you and the bar and can settle them all in one go with a single transaction. So uh, this is pretty similar to how the Lightning Network works. On the Lightning Network, any two people or parties can open between them what is known as a payment channel, much like the bar tab between you and the bar. And on this payment channel, they can transact with each other back and forth as many times as they want, but they can mutually decide to finalize these transactions, maybe every day or every week or every month. And when they do, that's when these exchanges are settled with a single transaction on the main Bitcoin blockchain. So how the economics of this would work is that when two people open a payment channel among themselves, both parties lock in a certain amount of Bitcoin into a special type of wallet known as a multi-signature wallet, uh, also called multi-sig, which is uh, nothing but a wallet that operates only when it gets signatures from multiple people. In this case, both the parties that are opening a payment channel among themselves. Now, obviously, the BTC amount that they deposit into this wallet should be equal or greater than the amount that they expect to transact during their entire transaction period. And so how it is settled is, so let's say the two parties do several hundreds of transactions among themselves within a month. And when they decide to finalize and settle the transaction, the multisig wallet determines how much BTC needs to be returned to each party. And the transaction is executed on the main Bitcoin blockchain. Now, since a payment channel is always between two parties, this may sound like it would be very cumbersome for any person to open 100 different payment channels. One between you and your, say, your local bar, another between you and your hairdresser, uh, another one maybe between you and your grocery store, and so on, right? But that's not what happens on the Lightning Network. So on the network, say you want to make a payment for your groceries at your grocery store, but uh, you both don't have a direct payment channel that exists between yourselves. But let's say you have a payment channel open with your bar. Your bar has a payment channel open with your area's main wholesale dealer, let's say Costco. And the wholesale dealer has a payment channel open with your local grocery store. Then if you look at the network, the connection is complete, right? If you want to make a payment to your grocery store, the network would just route that payment through all these existing payment channels to get your payment to the grocery store. So as the network becomes bigger, more and more people join, more and more parties are interconnected with each other, the easier it becomes to make a payment from point A to point B between different parties. So that in a nutshell is how the payment channels on the Lightning Network function. Uh, to look at it deeper from a tech perspective, uh, I assume that there's quite a little bit of novel technology as well that goes into making all of this happen. Uh, Nikhil, do you want to go into the specifics of the technology behind the Lightning Network? Sure. And uh, I mean, just as a kind of like a preview, uh, the Lightning Network project, right, uh, basically just like any other open source project, has a set of standardized technical specifications uh, written down for the working of the network, right? So this is known as the basis of lighting, lightning technology, or uh, you can short form of BOLT, uh, so Bolt, and it's available on GitHub. We can we can put the link in the uh, show notes for you if you're interested in going into the uh, standards themselves, right? So this will be a, a set of standards documents that specify how various things are done 
uh, in the Lightning Network. So to start simple, uh, we can start with the initial scenario that uh, KK had described, which is the payment channel between two parties, right? So the way that payment channel is set up is uh, by one or both of the parties putting a certain amount of uh, Bitcoin into a what is known as a multi-sig address uh, address and committing it to the blockchain, right? Now, it's not necessary for both parties to put the same amount of Bitcoin. You can have different amounts. You, it, you can have one party only putting and the other party not putting any amount, any combination between the two, right? But the key feature here essentially is that in order for... Uh, anything to happen uh, or any transaction to go out of this particular address, uh, you need both person's signature, right? right? So this initial transaction to the multi-signature address is known as a funding transaction and it is broadcast into the address by uh, one party. So let's, let's for convenience use a classic cryptography characters Alice and Bob, right? So in this case, let's say, let us suppose Alice broadcasts a transaction. Now, the first problem obviously might be that Alice broadcasts a certain amount of BTC, it gets locked, and then Bob disappears, and that uh, transaction is locked forever, right? So uh, one way to prevent that is to have an initial commitment transaction sent by the counterparty, for the same amount that allows Alice to retrieve her uh, balance back, right? So if, for example, Alice and Bob agree that, okay, Alice is going to put one BTC uh, in the address, Bob will send Alice a signed transaction that allows Alice to pull back uh, that one BTC back to her address. So this is basically done before creating the funding transaction and uh, is not valid uh, because obviously there's nothing in the transaction right now in in the in the address right now, so it would fail. Uh, so, but it would uh, basically be sent by Bob to Alice, and then Alice sends the funding transaction. Right now, once the funding transaction is there, you have a balance on the blockchain. The rest of the transactions are not broadcast. Now, to be clear. They are valid transactions, so they have the same format, they have the same signature schemes, everything is the same. It is a, for all intents and purposes, a valid Bitcoin transaction. The only thing that is not being done is that it is not being broadcast into the public Bitcoin network, right? So what actually happens there is these, these, these transactions are known as commitment transactions. And what actually happens over there is that, so if uh, Alice is funded one Bitcoin into that transaction and she wants to send 0.1 of that BTC to Bob, she will create this commitment transaction and send it to Bob, sign it and send it to Bob, right? Mm -hmm. Now, uh, this can continue. So obviously she receives whatever services or goods that Bob ha uh, uh, is giving her and then she does another one and another one and the balance between 
her BTC and Bob's BTC on the commitment transactions keep getting updated, right? So you'll have a series of transactions. Uh, so uh, obviously one thing is obviously uh, Alice's balance is going down in this case and Bob's balance is going up. There is uh, obviously uh, the constant problem that Alice could go back to an old transaction. So take an old commitment transaction that uh, and then transmit that to the public blockchain, right? And what uh, what that would inevitably do is that since that old transaction has her balance to be higher than Bob's, at that point in time, uh, she's essentially defrauding Bob from a certain amount of money, right? So in order to prevent this, what you do is you have to invalidate the prior transactions, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, what you do over there essentially is that when the commitment transaction is sent from or Alice creates a commitment transaction from Alice uh, from Alice to Bob she sets a lock a time lock on that particular transaction so uh, assume that uh, in the beginning when they were creating this multi-signature address they say okay uh, we're going to have this payment channel uh, valid for one month right so every month we're going to kind of settle uh, so what you basically do is that uh, you set a time lock, right, for the first transaction to be 30 days, the second transaction to be a little less than 29 days, depending uh, depending on when you set the transactions, right? So you basically set this time lock to be less and less time uh, in reverse order. So the first transactions basically get a higher value of the time lock and the uh, subsequent transactions get a smaller value of the time lock. So what this effectively does is that if Alice basically sends sends out an older transaction, an older commitment transaction onto the blockchain, she is essentially locked (coughs) for that period of time. And uh, Bob can immediately see that and send the newer transaction which has an earlier time lock and that kind of uh, gets added since it is uh, the time lock is less that will get that will become live uh, before Alice's transaction becomes live right right and that basically <clears throat> allows Bob to kind of recover the money because he's seen that uh, Alice's transaction uh, has been published he sends the latest version of the transaction and essentially invalidates Alice's transaction because his transaction gets run first and then that clears out the, uh, reduces the balance. And so when Alice's transaction run uh, runs, it will be like a double spend, which Bitcoin will not allow, right? So it will kind of be marked as an invalid transaction at that point. So uh, that's kind of how the prior transactions are invalidated. Now, one of the drawbacks of this, obviously, is that Bob needs to notice that Alice has sent it, has sent an earlier commitment transaction, and vice versa, right? Alice also has to monitor and make sure that Bob is not sending an older commitment transaction. Right. So this is a limitation of uh, the Lightning Network where uh, both people have to watch. And uh, one of the ways that Lightning Network gets, gets around this is by 
having Alice and Bob having or recruiting third party uh, applications to automatically monitor the network for such transactions and uh, taking the necessary counter step automatically when that happens. Right. But do you think uh, that in turn then kind of creates a compromise on the privacy of Alice and Bob? Like uh, these third parties would then be able to see, you know, different transactions that are happening between different people, right? Uh, Essentially, they will not be monitoring uh, Alice and Bob's private network. They will be monitoring the Bitcoin network for a commitment transaction. Okay. Right. And so basically they can, you can actually set it up so that they alert you if this happens. So you know, okay, whether it's, if that is an old commitment transaction or a new one. And so you can basically take the necessary action. Or if you want to be a little bit more trusting as a third party watchtower, you can basically, yeah, in that case, then you compromise on the privacy. You basically say, show what is happening. But, right. uh, a uh, point at which the commitment transaction is broadcast to the public blockchain network, you lost the privacy at that point anyway, right? Because now everybody knows. And uh, when you send the revocation uh, or the later transaction, everybody also knows that, okay, both transactions are out there and it's obvious which one is uh, the older one and which one is the newer one. Mm-hmm. So this is basically a very high level kind of an overview of how a payment channel works. Uh, especially in this case of the streaming money. There are some other use cases where you can explicitly send up, set up revocation secrets and things like that, which we will not, I mean, you can go through it in the basis of lightning technology specification if you want. Uh, let's, we will not cover it here. But uh, <clears throat> one other thing we can actually look at is the multi-hop channel, which is the one that you talked about where we, route money from one person to another person who does not necessarily have a direct payment channel with you. Right. So in a multi-hop channel, uh, let's let's lay out the characters a little bit, right? So you have Alice. Uh, Alice has a payment channel with Bob. Bob has a payment channel with maybe Charlie. And then Charlie basically has a payment channel with Dave, right? And... Dave basically wants, uh, or Alice wants to send some BTC to Dave, but then she doesn't have a payment channel directly set up between Dave and herself. So she goes to the Lightning Network. The Lightning Network basically identifies this route between Alice, Bob, Charlie, and Dave and says, so, so you can actually route that money. So how do you actually go about doing that? So in this case, basically, we use what are known as hash, hashed secrets. So what uh, Dave will do is that Dave will basically create an invoice, quote unquote, with a hash of a secret value that he knows. And he will send that invoice to Alice. And this is, again, a lightning it's there in the standards as to how this should be formatted and how this should be uh, composed. Uh, you can look at the bold standard for that. Alice then uses this invoice to generate a transaction with the caveat that anybody who can uh, pro- provide the secret that uh, matches the hash, so basically uh, be able to unlock that hash, will get 
let's say the 0.5 BTC that she wanted to send to Dave, right? So, so she'll probably create a transaction that says, okay, I will send 0.8 BTC uh, and she'll create a message between the payment channel she has between herself and Bob. And she'll tell Bob that, hey, okay, this particular transaction is a temporary transaction. So it doesn't actually appear in his balance and it's kind of like locked and it'll get unlocked only if you can provide the secret. And uh, Bob then basically takes that message and he takes his fee. So from the point eight, maybe he'll take out point one for himself. And he'll, uh, so he'll basically say, okay, you create a new transaction that says point seven uh, BTC and he'll send that to Char- Charlie. And Charlie, he'll tell Charlie that, hey, okay, if you provide the secret to me, you'll get this 0.7 BTC. Again, this will be a temporary transaction. It's not reflected in Charlie's balance, but it is a locked transaction, right? And then Charlie does the same, except this time he's sending it to Dave. And he basically says, okay, here's the uh, amount that Alice sent you. So he'll set 0.6 to Dave. Uh, or oh, sorry, point, point 0.5 today. In this case, Charlie is getting a extra amount uh, because Alice miscalculated. But uh, so he gets point 0.2. He sends point 0.5 to Dave and uh, Dave basically has to provide the secret to Charlie in order to unlock that transaction. So at this point, basically, Alice has sent the money to Dave. So she sent point 0.5 BTC to Dave, but Dave cannot access it until he broadcasts the secret, right? So at this point, he gets the transaction from Charlie. Dave does not know who this transaction is from. He looks at his list of invoices and uh, matches the hash. So he figures out, oh, okay, Alice has sent me the money. And then he unlocks the transaction that Dave sent him by broadcasting the secret value, right? So he unlocks it. And uh, so that is basically what is a definitive proof for Dave that, okay, this transaction has come from Alice. And so, yes, yes, because he's maintaining, yeah, he's created that invoice and sent to Alice, right? So he knows that uh, that list of invoices is with him. So he knows that this is an invoice that he sent to Alice. Okay. And the sending of the invoice to Alice is not necessarily needed to be within uh, the Lightning Network. It can be outside it also, but it can be inside it also. It doesn't really matter. Uh, It's outside of Bitcoin anyway. All of this is outside of Bitcoin network. So basically what, uh, when when Dave basically broadcasts the secret into the Lightning Network to redeem his unlock that particular transaction to Charlie, uh, immediately that secret is available and Charlie unlocks uh, his uh, locked transaction from Bob. And then uh, the Bob uses the secret to unlock his unlocked tran- locked transaction from Alice, and uh, that's that's how the whole thing settles at once, right? So so this way, basically, there is a small amount of commission. So you notice that there is uh, Alice actually sends a little bit more than 0.5 BTC, and uh, each one of the parties in the in the chain basically uh, earn that commission. And uh, that commission is basically because until the key is released and they are able to unlock the transaction, they are creating separate transactions based on their own balance 
to the other participant, right? So they are actually locking up their own money uh, in anticipation of this future settlement. It's basically an incentive for people to keep their payment channels open so that they can actually earn these transaction fees as payments. Yeah, channels. it's not only just to keep the payment channel open, but also to actually lock up that amount, right? Because uh, in this particular case, basically, Bob has locked up 0.7 BTC, Charlie, Charlie has locked up 0.6 BTC, and they're not sure if they will actually accept it, right? Right. Uh, and uh, so there's also that particular scenario to think about. All of these basically, the, uh, all of these transactions are also locked with a time time lock, right? So it's uh, if if within a certain amount of a certain period of time, that transaction uh, is not unlocked using the key, uh, the money goes back automatically to the host. Right. Right. So in this particular case, it, it's again uh, like what we did with the payment channel, but in reverse, uh, Alice will lock it for a longer period. So a period of T, say, uh, and then Bob will probably lock it for T minus one uh, and uh, Ch- uh, Charlie will lock it for T minus two, right? So uh, Charlie's gets unlocked and then Bob's gets unlocked and it goes, it goes back the whole way as soon as the first person's uh, contract is revoked. So one question that just comes to my mind is, you know, in in practical scenario where people are actually locking these amounts of BTC in their channels, you know, let's say if there is a market dip, right? And uh, BTC, uh, let's say it was $60,000 yesterday and today suddenly it has dropped down to 50K, right? And uh, a lot of people, you know, they don't want to hold the BTC. They want to sell it off for something else, right? So Mm -hmm. how do you see that impacting Lightning network, you know, with people wanting to pull out their BTC and maybe close the payment channels. How, how do you see that working? Yeah, so it's it's basically ultimately comes down to the cost of doing business, right? So if you want to set up a multi-lightning network and you want to set up payment channels and you want to use BTC as a means of exchange, uh, then yeah, that's that's basically a risk that you are taking on. But then you should also realize that uh, the amounts in which you're sending money here uh, back and forth is uh, I mean we I talked in terms of BTC but in reality it's actually in terms of satoshi right we are talking about really really small amounts of money uh, milli satoshis and satoshis are the kind of fees that happen in the lightning network we are not actually talking about any big fraction of BTC we're talking about literally you know 10 to the power minus 15 of a PTC, right? right. So uh, even uh, if you think about that, then even if you have large fluctuations on the PTC side, the actual impact it has on a Satoshi, which would be even with $60,000 for a BTC, a Satoshi is still a fraction of a cent. The actual value change would be quite small, right? So unless you're doing really large transactions, uh, using the Lightning Network, large single transactions, it doesn't really affect you that much, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, let me just quickly go into privacy mm-hmm. and uh, then we can talk about this because this is a very interesting topic, right? And uh, sure. it's, it's a challenge of the Beat Lightning Network. To move into privacy, so obviously you pointed out earlier also about third-party watchtowers, uh, Privacy is definitely one of the things that 
people using Bitcoin are uh, concerned about or worried about. Uh, one of the interesting things about multi-hop channels, obviously, is that you think that, okay, this means that uh, in the Alice, Bob, Charlie, Dave scenario, Bob and Charlie would know that Alice is paying Dave and how much Alice is paying Dave, correct? Uh, this is not actually the case because what actually happens here is that you're basically the, the Lightning Network itself, when you're using leveraging the Lightning Network pro protocol itself, the protocol itself basically uses encryption, right? So it creates this multi-layered encryption on the message that is sent from Alice to Bob, right? So right. Bob basically gets to know that, okay, Alice sent him something. When he decrypts his layer, all he sees is that he's supposed to send a certain amount of money to Charlie, with whom he has a direct relationship, right? He right. will not know anything about Dave, right? By the time when, when Charlie basically gets that message, he will be able to decrypt his layer and his layer basically just uh, tells him that he's supposed to forward that money to Dave and he knows that he's got the transaction from Bob. So he knows that Bob and Dave, he does not know anything about Alice, right? Mm -hmm. And then when Dave gets the message from Charlie, uh, Dave basically decrypts his layer and then uses the uh, hash to be able to figure out, okay, this is Alice, right? So he knows about Charlie who sent him the uh, message and he knows about Alice, but he does not know about Bob, right? So in every hop of the uh, multi-hop channel, the node basically knows only the immediate preceding and the immediate following uh, node, right? So they know only about these two nodes. They do not know how many nodes have uh, preceded or how many nodes will follow uh, for a particular transaction. And it is not necessary. We took a very simple example of four. It can go up to n number of uh, transactions. So that's basically on privacy. And uh, to come back to the challenges of Lightning Network, the Lightning Network has a few challenges. Um, and one of them, like you said, obviously is that if you're going to lock up large amounts of BTC and the value of BTC changes, then yeah, you're not going to be very happy that you've locked about, locked around large amounts of BTC uh, into payment channels. But on the other hand, given the variability of the cost of BTC, uh, over a long enough time horizon, uh, you may not be too uh, worried about it because uh, as long as you keep the lightning transactions itself quite small, right? So right. Uh, you don't uh, want to create large individual BTC transactions over the lightning train network for two reasons. One is obviously the cost idea uh, point that you raised. The other one is also transaction cost in this case scales with size, right? So in the multi-hop scenario, we basically said, hey, okay, a certain amount of uh, fees or incentive is given to the intermediary nodes so that they lock up uh, that balance, right? 
but that's again a calculus that those intermediary nodes do right if it is not worth it so if you have like a payment channel of only one btc and uh, there somebody is asking you to lock up 0.8 btc of it right and they're giving you maybe a few satoshis as an incentive you may not be interested in doing that right on the other hand if it is you they're asking you to lock up only a few satoshi and they're giving you an incentive of one satoshi that's still okay because it's a very small amount of your payment channel now uh the point is that okay the larger the size of an individual transaction the more fees you'd have to pay for it which makes which is unlike the main bitcoin network where the fee is always standard right regardless of the size of the transaction the fee will be the same and so because of if you have a very large transaction it probably is better to just directly use bitcoin itself to do that transaction uh, rather than using the lightning network uh the other uh, problem with lightning network is especially in the multi hop scenario every person in that hop must have enough money or capacity locked up in their nodes to support the transaction this is again an argument for having smaller transactions right so right. if alice wants to send 0.5 btc but charlie in between does not have 0.5 btc on his payment channel to actually lock up then that chain is broken so that chain would never be formed and you would never be able to alice would never be able to send that money to dave right? right so uh again you probably have that limitation that okay depending on how much money you've locked up in a lightning transaction certain nodes might be more popular than other nodes uh and you in general it's better to kind of uh spend small amounts of money rather than large ones right so you think like that role will kind of get reserved for the coin bases of the world you know who would also be on lightning and you know who would have much higher amount of btc logged in in their uh, channels and <laughs> that sort of not necessarily to... right so basically the coin bases of the world are also doing kyc they're doing aml they're kind of making sure the gathering information right so right. Uh, they may not be incentivized uh, or people may not be incentivized to open payment channels with them right mm-hmm. uh, why should i let coinbase know if i want to send uh, a few satoshi for a coffee with my local barista right now maybe coinbase is a part of the multi hop channel that you create right uh, but then that doesn't less so that kind of keeps you private because coinbase may not know who you are they might just get one be one of the many notes but uh, again you're talking about only a few satoshi here and there and coinbase would have to be able to support a large number of satoshis to make significant profits so i'm kind of ambiguous on how that will work out and uh, to be honest coinbase basically while they seem to be making bright noises and maybe they will adopt lightning network uh, it appears to be seen they're primarily an exchange so i'm not sure exactly how this kind of gels with their main business model right right so uh, again yeah i don't know i might be speaking to so
So that's uh, so the the transaction cost obviously is and and the capacity is a is a problem. Another problem uh, with Lightning Network uh, is the one that we talked about when we were discussing payment channels, which is the need to monitor your payment, right? So since you're not on the Bitcoin network, you're actually just sending uh, transactions between directly P2P between you and your uh, payment channel partner. You need to monitor the blockchain network to make sure that you're not being defrauded, right? And uh, you can do this by running a bit blockchain node or BTC node and kind of monitoring it yourself or uh, you can outsource that depending on your level of paranoia or level of expertise as the case may be, right? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so so that, that there are tools to do that. Uh, and uh, There are uh, ways, uh, there are third-party companies already and uh, there are tools that can kind of notify you uh, generally uh, that uh, nowadays there are Raspberry Pi uh, like projects in fact that let you uh, create uh, local nodes and then you know set up a lightning node on top of that and uh, manage that yourself so that's that's definitely uh, doable and finally uh, there is the challenge of backing up your transactions now one of the good things about bitcoin was that as long as you knew your private key you didn't need uh, much of a backup right you just need to back up your private key and uh, if your computer went down or your mobile went down or whatever you just move to the next one and enter your private key and there your your wallet will be there and your money will be there this is not the case with Lightning transactions. Uh, you would need to monitor and back up the Lightning transactions yourself. And there's obviously a higher risk involved because, uh, you know, if your node goes down and uh, you and, and somebody tries to defraud you at the exact same time, then you might lose money. So that's that's obviously another challenge. I guess now let's move on and uh, quickly mention some of the examples where Lightning Network is already being adopted in the world. I would say that the last year, 2021, was pretty big for the adoption of the Lightning Network. Um, When El Salvador accepted Bitcoin as legal tender, about 2,000 new payment channels were added to the network within a week. Uh, And uh, I mean, in a country that is banking on Bitcoin being able... Uh, to be used for regular day-to-day stuff like buying coffee, buying your groceries, etc. Uh, Lightning is a very, very important enabler for Bitcoin to serve that purpose, right? Uh, and then in November, the Bitcoin Taproot upgrade happened, which allows for multi-sig wallet transactions to look exactly the same as all other transactions on uh, uh, the Bitcoin blockchain. So uh, this, in effect, makes it harder to distinguish Lightning Network-based transactions on the Bitcoin blockchain which was not the case earlier. Earlier, the Lightning transactions among uh, coming from the uh, multi-sig wallets were pretty easy to distinguish from transactions coming from the regular wallets. So this new upgrade adds uh, a greater deal of privacy for Lightning transactions. Uh, then in January earlier this year, uh, Jack Dorsey's Cash app uh, integrated the Lightning network. So uh, as of today, all of their 36 million users can 
send free and instant Bitcoin payments using Lightning. Uh, and uh, then just this past month, Strike Global uh, rolled out its Lightning-based payment services in Argentina. And uh, as per some reports, uh, they estimate that Argentina will be one of the fastest adopters of Bitcoin payments this year, uh, 2022. Argentina is uh, a country of about 45 million people or so. And uh, at this point, it is experiencing nearly a 50% inflation of its currency. So uh, a company like Strike obviously sees a big opportunity for the adoption of Bitcoin for payments, you know, if their currency continues to inflate in the same way as it is doing right now. So uh, these are some other potential markets where Bitcoin has an opportunity to get adopted as a means of payment uh, for your day-to-day things. Um, So... Uh, Nikhil, apart from this, uh, is there anything you want to touch on uh, in terms of, you know, how Bitcoin is being used or how Lightning is being used for any other applications we should look at? Sure. I mean, uh, uh, Lightning has not been standing still. The, it's it's not just the, you know, the big countries and all of that. Uh, we actually have uh, a lot of uh, tools available nowadays uh, to set up Lightning. So you have uh, things like uh, Embassy OS, uh, which is uh, from uh, startnight.com, uh, is essentially a Raspberry Pi operating system that allows you to uh, install Lightning nodes. It allows you to install Bitcoin nodes and, and kind of set up your own uh, Lightning uh, node in a, in a, on, a, on a Raspberry Pi. Uh, you have lightning in a box. Uh, there's also, uh, I was talking earlier about uh, watchtowers. There is open source. There is from Talia Labs, a, a third-party watchtower that you can set up just for your own lightning if you want. And uh, there's also wallets. So there is wallets uh, like Moom, uh, Breeze, and uh, Phoenix. There are there is actually some interesting applications as well. Uh, I was looking at uh, Zebedee, which is a combination of a Lightning wallet and a video game. Uh, so you could actually uh, play Counter Strike or Mario Kart type games and uh, actually earn or spend a Satoshi over Lightning Network. You know, streaming uh, as you play the game. Right. So there's a uh, there's a whole bunch of applications happening. Um, there are uh, merchant tools, so you can actually have, there's a WooCommerce plugin for e-commerce uh, folks. Uh, there are a bunch of other plugins and uh, tools to, you know, accept uh, payment in uh, Satoshi's over the Lightning Network uh, as well. So if, if you're a developer and you've got an idea or uh, and, and you want to kind of use micropayments kind of infrastructure, then you should definitely have a look at the Lightning Network. Yeah, so it definitely sounds like a lot of cool stuff is uh, you know <laughs> being built, uh, exploring especially the concept of streaming money, you know, that, that Lightning can enable. So uh, with all that's going on, like where do you see the future of Bitcoin heading as a whole? You know, like do you see Bitcoin finally becoming that peer-to-peer cash system that Satoshi had envisioned in his original paper? And do you see a very huge number of cryptocurrencies becoming irrelevant with greater adoption of Lightning? Uh, how do you see this playing out? So, I mean, uh, it's, it's kind of hard to tell, right? So on the one hand, uh, we have all the hype and the 
uh, excitement and the uh, you know uh, people going gaga over ethereum and defi and nfts and uh, metaverses and stuff like that so there's there's always that that going on right so there's always layer two solutions there's uh, things uh, uh, there's, there are new blockchains being built uh, uh and um, and and all of them have their uh marketing uh, unique uh usp right and uh, that i don't see going away anytime soon on the other hand uh bitcoin basically has long been uh, uh advocating or people have been uh, assigning the story of a store of value right they were everybody now thinks of bitcoin is gold that's a speculative asset and uh and, and that's that's been the dominant story for bitcoin and it's kind of heartening to see lightning which is something that i i remember seeing in the early days when i when i started learning about bitcoin and cryptocurrencies back in 2016 uh they they are still going it's still still going strong and there seems to be more and more maturity behind the protocol more and more applications of the protocol and uh, simply just more tools right so it's it's it seems to become it seems to have kind of moved to the point where you know the average developer could start looking at it now one of the main obviously catch 22 situations or uh, problems with lightning networks is like you said having be having enough people to kind of actually lock up money and use uh the lightning network as a means of exchange use btc as a means of exchange right and uh, uh, like you pointed out earlier it seems to me that latin america again seems to be leading the way and uh, there are uh, uh, big corporations kind of uh, adopting uh, that and hopefully that will lead to that kind of supply demand cycle of flywheel uh, that that leads to uh, greater adoption of lightning networks all right folks that concludes our podcast we hope that you enjoyed this episode on the lightning network you can subscribe to this podcast on itunes google play and spotify also you can learn more about us on bcdialogues.com thanks again for joining see you next time